Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Are we doing good? We are getting close. How many people shot fireworks last night, by the way? It's not the 4th of July, but maybe you shot some anyway. We had a bunch in our neighborhood last night. Maybe you guys had some. I don't know. Maybe you're not. I'm kind of surprised. They were going everywhere. Um, but anyway, so it, we're getting close, like celebrating our freedom and independence as a nation. That's coming up this week, and it's, uh, it's a big week. Glad you guys are here hanging out with us. We're going to be uh, jumping into a final week of a series that we call One Hit Wonder, but before we do, I just want to mention something. One of the really cool things that I get to do here that's a part of, I call it a job, but it doesn't feel like a job, like what I do, it's, it's that I get the privilege of being able to do it, is that I get to hang out with middle and high school students. And uh, every once in a while, we do something that we call a student zone. Some of you came in this morning, you saw a sign, and you saw a table and some red and blue buckets, and there was nothing in them, and you're like, wow, we really love teenagers here because we don't give them anything. Um, no, not the case, not the case. I want to invite every middle and high school student that's in the room uh, to join us out there inside of the, the ropes. Like, we've got it marked off. It's just for you, and on your way out today, there are going to be free popsicles on the way. They're just for you. Um, so you guys go and hang out with us and then come back and see us tonight because we get together and we have our own environment on Sunday nights from 6 to 8 p.m. And we would love to have you hang out with us. And who knows, there may be enough for those of you who aren't in middle and high school after they get finished. I say may because I know how they usually eat. So I don't know, there may be some there for you too. You can stop by after the fact and check that out this morning. Last week, we started a series called One Hit Wonder, and just like the idea behind an artist or a band, we don't want to be the person who has that one thing that happens in our life, and then everyone says, where did they go? They just disappeared. Better than that, we don't want to be known for the one bad thing in our life and wonder if something good is going to ever happen again. Last week, we talked about how everyone has the potential to be more than a one-hit wonder. We talked about this uh, great story where this prophet, Ezekiel, sees these, this valley full of dry bones, and God says, hey, can these dry bones live? And he says, God, only you know. And then he says, hey, Ezekiel, talk to them on behalf of me, and when you do, they're going to form bodies and breath. They're going to enter them, and they're going to become a vast army. And it's, we talked through how that a lot of times we can't see past our problem to the potential that we have, but God sees past the problem and then invites us to participate and seeing that potential become reality. And today, we're gonna talk about another thing that can completely destroy someone in the, when it comes to being a one-hit wonder. It will hold them back, it will keep them from doing anything that they need to do, keep them from taking a next step, and we're going to talk about fear. Is there anyone in here that's afraid of something? I am, oh, okay, a lot of hands. Some of y'all are like, nope, nope, uh, I'm good. For me, like my one real fear is sitting on a bridge and it's completely, you're sitting still and the other side cars are going past and you feel the bridge doing this. I don't know why, like I trust the bridge, like I drive over the bridge, but I, I, I showed up here to go over the bridge, not sit on it and bounce like a trampoline, like that's not my thing. I don't like that. So here's what I did. I went and looked to find some of the most common fears in the United States. And the Washington Post actually did an article about this in October of 2014. The number one fear amongst Americans in October of 2014 was glossophobia. It's the fear of public speaking. 
I'm, a commu- I'm literally standing in front of the public right now. Like, this doesn't compute with me. But there are people that will sit there and go, no, there are, I know that Jonathan said and read that earlier. <clears throat> it's such a great reminder of a verse that we are two or more gathered in his name, that, that God's in the midst of them. Like, okay, God, but not the other ones. I don't want to speak in front of those other people. Some of you may have that. Acrophobia, fear of heights. We had some students and volunteers at Carowinds yesterday, and there were some that were like, not riding that roller coaster. So I understand it. Entomophobia, bugs and insects. Anybody just don't do bugs? Like there's a whole other subset of this that's arachnophobia, and it's not even on here. I think they just lumped everything together. Spiders, like that, yes, okay, that's a thing in my house. I understand that one. Aquaphobia is the fear of drowning. That was number four. Number five was trypanophobia. I loved learning how to say these names, so I'm going to say every one of them. I know I could just say the fear of something, but no, I am proud of it. I listened to Google tell me how to say it. We are going to keep going. Trypanophobia, blood or needles. All right, there are some people that you see a picture of a needle, you're like, nope, I'm done. Claustrophobia, fear of enclosed spaces. There's some folks in here, that's, that, there were some that were like, yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, aviophobia, fear of flying. People who went to Guatemala got over that one fast, didn't they? I'm gonna skip nine, because I wanna come back to that one. Number 10 is nyctophobia, which is the fear of darkness. Number nine, in October of 2014, according to the Washington Post in this survey that they did, the ninth most feared thing in the United States was kinomortophobia. Does anybody have any idea what that's the fear of? Zombies. Zombies. Kinomortophobia is the fear of zombies. If that's you this morning, I do not want to be insensitive. But for me, like... The bridge collapsing underneath me is a very real thing. I, like, I don't know if this is just like a fear of actual like dead or semi-dead walking things or it's the fear of the show, The Walking Dead. I don't know, but no, you wouldn't be watching it. So those were at that point in time the 10 most things. I mean, a lot of people fear a lot of things, but here's the thing when you get to it. See, anything that has phobia attached to it is considered an irrational fear of something. Now, for some of us, we've experienced something in the midst of it. Maybe you got, you know, I don't know, maybe you got stuck in an elevator at some point, and now you have that fear of enclosed spaces. Um, There's this fear of strangers that's in there, too, and I, you know, there's all kind of things. But there are things in our life, the thing that fear is based on is what could happen. Not what's happening in the moment, but what could happen. And fear can often dictate whether I decide to move forward Stay where I am or run and hide. You're afraid of spiders. You see a spider in the hallway. You have a decision. Do I really have to go to the bathroom that bad? Or am I just going to run and hide and pray that everything works out? You see a crowded elevator. No, I know I've got to go to the 15th floor, but I'm, I'm taking the stairs on this one. But there's some very real fears that we have, things that are happening and taking place at work or in our relationships or financially, and 
we have to decide, are we gonna move forward or are we gonna stay where we're at or are we gonna run and hide? And a lot of times the easiest thing in our mind is to not move forward, but to either stay where we are but a lot of times to run and hide. It would be a lot easier sometimes just to quit because we're afraid of what could happen, to walk away from the relationship because we're afraid of what could happen or just not pay the, pay the bill and pretend it never happened because we're just afraid of what could happen. My question for us today is what are we running from? What are we afraid of? Because one hit wonders can get to the point where they've seen one great thing happen in their life or maybe they have seen a series of bad things and they're waiting for the good thing but in the back of your mind you're sitting there going but something bad's gonna happen and so I don't wanna move forward. I don't wanna do anything else because there's potential for the spider to bite me. There's the potential in that crowded space to get stuck for a while. There's the potential for that zombie to actually exist and hunt me down. What is it that we're afraid of? What is it that's in our life today that we say, I, I just can't move forward. I'm afraid of, of being the one hit wonder. I, don't, I can't get to that place. Well, I want you to think about that today. And so we're gonna focus on it. And we're gonna do so in the, the book in an Old Testament called 1 Samuel. It is, has three main characters, Samuel. Imagine that, right? Samuel was a prophet and he is esteemed by Jews as second to Moses amongst their leaders, historically. He's one of the last judges. There's a book in the Bible that's called Judges, and then it moves on. And he's one of the last judges. He's one of the first of this new order of prophets, the spokesman, the mouthpiece of God. There are two other main characters that are in this book. One is a man by the name of Saul. He was the first king of Israel. God wanted him. He was in the prime of his life. He had all the makings of a king. God chose him to begin Israel's monarchy, but Saul disqualified himself on three different occasions from being king. One writer I, I was looking at and Saul even described Saul as, quote, the most pathetic account of God's servant. Ouch. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy that someone says that to. And the reason that it was said was because every great quality that he had, his mind his stature, his spirituality, everything ended up falling apart. Everything that should have been great led to his downfall. And then there's this third main character, and it's a person by the name of David. David's the son of Jesse and is um, a shepherd, and it's commonly known as a man after God's own heart. He didn't have all of the quote-unquote physical tools of Saul, but he trusted God. So he is anointed as king. But that doesn't mean that there weren't some missteps. It doesn't mean that there weren't some things in his life. Even though he trusted God, he was known after, as a man after God's own heart, it doesn't mean that there weren't some things that didn't go well for him. In 1 Samuel, we find in chapter 17 that he faces off against this giant named Goliath. And at that time, <clears throat> excuse me, the Goliath is just taunting the nation of Israel. No one's coming out to fight him. David goes to Saul and he's like, I'll take him on. And he goes out and he fights and he, he kills this giant. Everybody's all excited about it. He's even welcomed in <clears throat> to Saul's house. And in chapters 18 through 20, Saul begins to hate David, tries to kill him, and David flees for his life. And we get to chapter 21 
And it's at that point that David flees to this place called Nob, and he's there, and it literally means, that word means to seek God's guidance. And David interacts with this priest named Ahimelech. Throwing all kinds of stuff at y'all this morning, I get it. He's asking for bread, and this whole conversation takes place, and then he looks over to the side, and he sees this guy by the name of Doeg, who is the chief shepherd of the king, of Saul. Basically, he takes care of all of Saul's animals. And he sees him, and later on we find out that it registers at that time, he wonders what could happen. What's he going to go back and tell Saul because he's running from Saul? I get that that's a lot of setup. I get that that's a lot of backstory, but it's necessary for us to get into it this morning. So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 8. David asked Ahimelech, do you have a spear or a sword? The king's business was so urgent that I didn't even have time to grab a weapon. Okay, so first of all, he's running from the king. Fear's already made him do something that didn't make sense. We're going to get to that more in a second. Ahimelech says, I only have the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah. The priest replied, it's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. That, take that if you want it, for there's nothing else here. And then David says, there is nothing like it. Give it to me. So David escaped from Saul, and he went, went to King Achish of Gath. But the officers of Achish were unhappy about his being there. Is it this David, the king of the land, they ask? Isn't he the one the people honor with dances and singing, saying Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands? David heard these comments and was very afraid of what King Achish of Gath might do. So he pretend, pretended to be insane, scratching on doors and drooling down his beard. Now, what comes after that is actually the king says, why in the world would you bring me somebody who's doing this? Like, I don't need another person around me like that. There are other translations where we began earlier, we got to verse 10, where it says that David escaped from Saul and he went to King Achish of Gath. There are other translations that use this wording, that David arose and fled that day out of fear of Saul. Now, doesn't that make a lot of sense on the surface? If someone were trying to kill you, you're probably going to run away from them. You're probably going to do everything you can to move. David wasn't afraid of the moment. David was afraid of what could happen. It's what we mentioned earlier, that fear is based in what could happen. When I was little, um, every Christmas Eve, my dad's side of the family would get together. And my uncle, one particular Christmas, came in and is making a really big deal, saying, hey, I saw on TV that they've already seen Santa, like, He's flying, they're tracking him on radar, they've got all of this stuff. And, and like, as a child, you get all excited when you hear that. You get all pumped up about that, and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to sleep because I'm thinking about what's going to happen. As the night went, he continued to go on with this. But also, before he left, he was like, so, hey, you need to go to bed because Santa's going to show up, and you're going to hear the reindeer on the roof. You're going to hear him come down the chimney. You're going to hear him in the house. They all left and went home. I went to bed, and I was scared to death of Santa Claus. <laughs> I didn't sleep. I kept waking up and waking up my parents, and I would say, like, I hear him on the roof. He's there. I hear the reindeer. I can hear the bells. And they're like, just, just go back to sleep. You're good. And I wake up again, and I'm like, he's coming down the chimney. Like, he's in the house. We have to go find this guy 
no, you're good, it's all right. Wake them up again, I saw the glow of Rudolph's nose outside the window. And y'all can say that, that's an irrational fear, but think about it for a second. The song says that Santa sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake. Santa Claus a little bit of a creeper, y'all. I just... <laughs> all night long, scared to death of that. And, and what child gets like that? This is supposed to be a happy time. This is supposed to be waking up early or not being able to go to sleep because of the excitement of what's going to happen, not the fear of what could happen to you. And I know that some of you in here are sitting there going, that's such a great story about how we shouldn't be afraid of some things that, that just don't make sense. No, the story is about how, like, my uncle was just a punk. Like, that's the story. That, no, that really... It really is all about the fact that fear makes us do things that don't always make sense. David ran to Gath, which is one of the principal cities of the Philistines. He had just killed the champion of the Philistines in Goliath, and that's where he runs. Why would you go there? Like, it doesn't make sense. Some people think that he went there because Saul's not going to follow him. Some people believe that he went there because he just wasn't thinking straight because he was afraid for his own life. But he did something that didn't make sense. And I get that you have Goliath's sword with you. But still, do you really want to run there? And when he gets there and people are like, what? what's he here? Like, he shouldn't be here. This is the guy that everybody says, hey, Saul's killed his thousands, David's killed his ten thousands. Like, this guy is a really big deal. He shouldn't be here. He hears that, and he doesn't even use the sword of Goliath. Instead, it says that he acts insane and that he's like drooling down his beard and he's scratching on walls and he's doing all of this stuff. Some scholars say that David is actually being shrewd or smart here because the king wouldn't have wanted to be around people who were acting like this. It could have been that he was acting this way because to make it look like he was having some sort of seizure and you didn't want to be around him. But also, acting like that was a sign of possession, demon possession. So some scholars believe that David did this and he was really shrewd. He was really smart. He was like, okay, if I act this way, then nobody's going to want to have anything to do with me. But later on, we're going to find out in a different place in the Bible that David actually responds that his motivation is based in fear. Have you ever found yourself in that boat where you're so afraid of what could be that you either stop moving the direction that you should be going, you stay right where you're at, or in the case of David, you move to a place that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Because fear makes us do that. If you're afraid of what's going to happen in your life, did I just have my one, my one chance? Like, am I gonna be a one-hit wonder? I'm afraid I don't wanna do anymore because what if I get ridiculed after something big happened and it never happens again? Or what if everyone thinks badly of me because I, I did something that I shouldn't have done when I had this really big moment? 
we find ourselves interacting with people differently, loving other people differently, loving ourselves differently. How we respond to seemingly hopeless situations like we talked about last Sunday, we do it differently because it doesn't make sense. And here's why, and this is what happened to David in this moment. It's that in the presence of fear, victories are forgotten. In the presence of fear, victories are forgotten. We don't remember the great thing that's over here that happened in our life. We may have seen it, but we can't see what could happen down here. All we see is the fear of the potential of something bad happened. David ran where he did out of fear of Saul. Then he acted the way he did out of fear of King Achish. He had forgotten something really important. And it's what he was carrying with him. And what he was carrying with him signified a significant victory, not only in his life, but for those around him. In 1 Samuel 17, is the story of David fighting Goliath. And David says this in verse 45, David replied to the Philistine as Goliath is taunting the nation of Israel. He says, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. You gotta understand, like, Goliath is a literal giant. Here's this young dude, David, who's just walking up. He's just walking up, not cocky in what he can do, but he is confident in what God will do. And I'm picturing this in my mind, him walking and just looking up and being like, "You, you got all your stuff and you're coming at me, but I've got God. Just wait till you see what happens next. Verse 46, he says, today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. Mic drop is what that is. And then I will give the bodies of your men. So here's the thing, he doesn't stop at Goliath. He says, God's gonna conquer you. That's a really big deal that he didn't say, I'm gonna conquer you and I'm gonna kill you. He said, God's gonna conquer you and then I'm gonna kill you and cut off your head and I'm gonna go beyond that. I'm gonna feed Y'all, this is some some imagery right here. And I'll give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give it to us. Look at how David responds to what could happen. All right, this is before all of the interaction that's happened that we read about earlier. Remember, in the presence of fear, victories are forgotten. David responds here and tells Goliath in advance that he's going to kill him and cut off his head. And he killed him with the very sword that he has with him now. You see, the reason that that sword was such a big deal and it was held in an esteemed place is because that's the sword of Goliath. David goes on to take his sling, put a smooth stone in it, throw it, sink it into Goliath's head, falls down, takes that sword, and cuts off his head. Like He called his shot. But he didn't call what he was going to do. He called what God was going to do because he trusted him that much in that moment. 
So what happened to this man? What happened to this man that four chapters earlier is telling this giant that no one in this entire nation wants to fight? God's going to conquer you, and this is what I'm going to do to you. And now he is running from Saul. He is given one weapon by Ahimelech, the very sword that was used to cut off Goliath's head. And he's still afraid when he runs to Gath, so afraid that he acts irrationally and ends up running and hiding in a cave. Today, you may be so wrapped up in fear of what could happen that you don't remember what God's already done in your life. Maybe you don't even recognize what God's already done in your life because if you can't see anything else that God's done, if you don't see any other victory in your life, he woke you up this morning and you're sitting in this room. And for some of us, that's a really big deal. Not because it's summer and you're already on like that summer schedule and you're like, I sleep till 2.30 in the afternoon. Like that's not what I'm talking about. The fact that you're here and that God woke you up means that you have a purpose today. You have breath in your lungs for a reason and God has something that he wants to do in you and through you. And if you woke up in the midst of only the fear of what could happen and you don't see all of the victories that God's had, you're scared of what's over here and you're running away from it. It's a victory that you could have stayed in bed, that you could be sitting at home right now and that you're here. Because for some of us, we don't even understand how we got here this morning. We didn't have the energy, we didn't have the drive because we're scared to death of what happens every time we walk out of the door because seemingly everything bad happens every time we walk out of the door. So if you don't see anything else, see that. But then for some of us in this room, we are in this time in our life where we are just running but we don't see what we have. We're carrying around the, the artifacts, we're carrying around the markers, we're carrying around the milestones of the huge, miraculous things that God's done in our life. But we've forgotten about it because there's something now that's blocking our view. There's something now that's keeping us from seeing what God wants to do next. And at that moment, David looks like a one-hit wonder. But I want you to look at what comes from this encounter. Psalm 34, verse 4. This is David writing, and he says, I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed, the Lord listened, and he saved me from all my troubles. Psalm 34 was written by David in response to this interaction that he has in Gath. It's written as a response to what took place there. And it, it seems to be that it was written in this this cave where he escapes to next when he leaves Gath. He's joined by some family and 400 men. And verses 1 through 3 before what we read are full of all of this praise and adoration for God for how great he is. And we find out why in verse 4. Because David admits that he was a desperate man. And his actions made him act out of fear. But what's really cool is that he doesn't say, I did this. He actually goes back to that same thought process that is in 1 Samuel 17 when he's facing Goliath. He recognized who saved him. 
He recognized that it was God who saved him in the midst of the fear. He recognized that it was God who saved him when he didn't feel like he could keep moving on, when he was scared to do that. Have you ever felt like a desperate person? I have. Or you just don't know what else to do. You're so consumed by something, possibly the fear of something or the fear of something that's happened before happening again or the fear of nothing substantial in your life ever happening or you just feel desperate. Turning to God and trusting him in your fear brings a peace that you can't manufacture. No speaker, no politician, no teacher, no self-help guru or book can do for you in the midst of your fear what God can do for you. There is no one else, there is no other thing. It is God and God alone that will remind you that in the presence of fear, victories are forgotten. But more important, in the presence of God, fear is defeated. David called out to God and he experienced this crazy peace and it's a peace that comes from some crazy circumstances. Our daughter Hannah is eight. I talk about her often because she is, I believe that one of the reasons that God gave us our daughter is so that I have some really cool things to talk about on stage that like transfer to real life. And she is full of those moments. There's no doubt about it. When she was really little, she would come running down the hallway or out of a room and I would stand in the dark or I would stand around the corner. Some of y'all are like, you were a horrible father. Hang on a second, there's a payoff, okay? She would come running and I would just jump out ah, and scare her. And she would stop and look, like she would be full on scared only for a moment and then she'd look at me and she'd go, do it again. <laughs> word for word, like she'll still do it now, every now and then, but not as much as when she was young. Like when she was really little, she would scare, she would look at me, and she'd go, do it again. But my favorite times are when you do it, she'd say, Daddy, do it again. When I, I come to realize, so here's the thing, y'all need to remember. Don't go next door and try to scare my kid. It ain't gonna, that's not gonna go well, all right? And here's why. The reason I think that she was so adamant about me doing that again it's because momentarily what seemed to be so bad completely changed when she looked in her father's eye and saw that I had no malice toward her. When she saw that I didn't want harm to come from her, but the fear turned into, Daddy, do it again. That's what I see happening to David. He'd experienced, he'd experienced the victory, but had forgotten it. But when he got back in God's presence and when he got close enough to him to look at him and say, I remember what you did. Daddy, do it again. He experienced change in his life. It may be that if you want to see your fear eradicated by God and experience that for yourself, you need to get close enough to him to look in his eye. You need to get close enough to him to understand that he only has good intentions for you, that he loves you so very much. And when you do this, let me show you what you experience. 
Isaiah 41, verse 10 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. This is God talking. And he says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. David experienced that in the presence of fear, the victories are forgotten. The very thing that God did, he could do again, but he forgot about that. But it wasn't until he got back in the presence of God that he understood that in the presence of God, my fear is defeated. Walk away with this thought today. I can face my fears because God's already defeated them. We sang all about that earlier. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love, God. Then at the name of Jesus, darkness trembles that it has to flee, that my fears are eradicated. There are a lot of artists, there are a lot of people who have said that they were driven by the fear of becoming a one-hit wonder, and that's the reason they didn't, is they didn't want to end up there, so they were driven to keep pushing and keep growing and keep becoming more. But then there were others that have said it was the fear of becoming a one-hit wonder that kept them from becoming more than a one-hit wonder. And the difference was is they came to a place, all of those artists, where they said, okay, this incredible thing has happened in my life. On this side is everything that could be great of what I could be of the potential. And over here is me crash landing and only being known for having this one thing in my life. The difference was the fear that they were facing. Was it going to drive them to seeing the potential become reality, which David had already experienced, which some of us have already experienced in our life, or was it going to drive them to come this direction where everything could potentially fall apart? It wasn't what happened to those artists in the moment. It was all about understanding that you either face the fear because it's already been defeated, or you run from it and you forget about what's happened in your life already. Maybe you feel that way today. And if so, then you can experience what David experienced. It could be what's happening at home. It could be what you're afraid of to get back to school in the fall. It could be what's going on at work. It could be some type of relationship. It could be the battle that you're facing of your past and you're afraid of going back to that place so you don't want to move on. But God wants you to be more than a one-hit wonder. He wants you to experience everything that he has in store for you. And what that's going to require is remembering what you have. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, you have the same power in you that raised Jesus from the dead. That's a power that defeats fear. That's a power that defeats darkness. That's a power that when you remember the victory, you look back and say, all right, I don't even care about the fear anymore. God, what's next? You're gonna conquer the giant and then I'm gonna cut off his head and that's what's gonna happen and we're gonna worship you because of it. 
Or maybe today you're in here and you've got the place of saying, I don't feel like I've got anything. I just feel like I'm in this situation where I don't know what to do. I don't know which way to go. God's already won that battle. Because he loved you so much that he recognized you couldn't stand up under the weight of your sin. He recognized that I couldn't do that. And you don't have to be afraid today of what the cost of that sin is, which is big. But what you can do is recognize that God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross in your place even though he never sinned so that you didn't have to be afraid of the future, so that you don't have to be afraid of the past, so that you don't have to be afraid of your present, that you can experience new life because he didn't just die, but he came back to life three days later. And that same power, that same special, important thing, like that sort of Goliath that was stored somewhere special, is something that you can carry around for yourself today. That freedom in Jesus Christ where you can walk away and say, the fear of everything that I am and what could happen to me, God's already won the battle. And so that fear is gonna be destroyed. You can experience that same peace that was written in Psalm, or excuse me, in Isaiah 41.10. Because God said that not only is he your God, is he gonna strengthen and help you, but my favorite part of the verse, he said, I'm holding you in my victorious right hand. I've already won. You don't have to live in this fear. I ask you guys to close your eyes. I'm gonna pray. Could be that you are here today. You've seen God do some big things. But there are some big circumstances, there are some big trials, there are some big troubles. popped up seemingly out of nowhere. You've, you've forgotten as a follower of Christ today, if that's you, that you're carrying around the very thing that demonstrated the big thing that God's already done in your life. God today to remind you of the victory. The victories that you've experienced personally, that you've experienced as a family, remind you of the victory that you've experienced personally and the fact that you have a relationship with God. And because of that, in his presence, fear is defeated. For those of us who are here today, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard about how much God loves you. You've just been living in fear of the fact of what your decisions and your choices, what they could do, how they could hurt you, how they could hinder you, what they're gonna do to you for the rest of your life, or heaven forbid, eternity. You don't have to live in that fear today. You can just talk to God right now and say something like this, God, I... I don't even know that I'm a one-hit wonder right now, but what I do know is that I do things 
that go against your nature and who you are, that I sin, that I try to fix my life on my own and do things my way, and I can't fix me and change me anymore. And I believe that you love me so much that you sent your son and that he died for me and that he rose again and that that same power that raised him from the dead can forgive me of my sin, can save me and change me and make me something new. So I'm committing my life to you today through the power that you have. Save me, change me and make me something new. I'm committing my life to you today. And God, today, if I don't know that I've ever experienced any other victory, I know that I can experience this one that you've already won. God, I believe that this room is full of people who are so much more than one-hit wonders. God, for the times in our life, God, for the times in my life, fear starts to hold us back remind us that you are victorious and that in you our fear is defeated in Jesus name we pray, amen